happy to have you today. And then today I get to introduce um, our youth pastors actually speaking today. Um, Nate Shaw, I'm going to tell you again in front of everyone, um, he was a part, our son graduated yesterday, Friday, and um, I just wanted to thank Nate uh, personally here in front of everyone, because I know he's touched lots of lives. Um, one in particular for us is our son, and it, if it wasn't for you helping lead a ministry, uh, you're a big foundation and part of his baptism and um, his walk with God. So thank you so much. Nate Shaw, everyone. So, uh, I get to speak to you guys in a series called Messy Church, and what a, what a series so far, right? These last uh, couple of weeks, what we've been looking at is we've been attempting to address the mess. Address the mess that is a part of our lives, address the mess that is a part of our churches, address the mess that is a part of our world. Church is made up of a lot of imperfect people. A lot of imperfect people who are trying to mimic a perfect example. So there's bound to be a lot of mistakes, and it's bound to get messy. That's just kind of how our lives work. So in week one, we talked about how God loves us unconditionally, regardless of what we have done, regardless of what we have said. We talked about the God that we believe in here at Crossroads, because here at Crossroads, we believe in a God whose love is perfect, a God whose love you, there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you more, but there's also nothing that you could ever do to make him love you any less. He loves you with a perfect love. And so no matter why perhaps you have left God's side, no matter where you have gone in your life, no matter what you have done, and no matter the person you have become, he is always inviting you to come home. He is always waiting to forgive you, and he is always waiting to love you. And that was a powerful message for us to hear. We then in week two talked about how sometimes we wear masks and not like we weren't talking about like COVID masks or anything. We weren't talking about like superhero masks. We we're talking about how sometimes we are tempted to mask who we are and not intentionally. Okay. It's just sometimes it can be really hard or really scary to live our lives authentically. And so what we decided to do as a church, and I hope you made the choices, we decided to be like future and we decided to take our masks off. We decided to take that off and to uh, know each other and to be known by each other, to live our lives authentically. Life is way too difficult to live it on our own. So why would we ever attempt to do so? We wanted to be ourselves in front of each other as a church body, and we want to live as ourselves in front of our God as well. And so that's what we got to talk about last week. We need our God and we need our faith family if we're going to do this life thing well. And so as we're living authentically, as we're accepting that sometimes we are messy, I'm going to get started this morning. Good morning, Crossroads. Uh, good morning, both you here in person and those of you who are joining us online. My name is Nathan Shaw. I am a youth pastor and I'm a teacher I am a son and I am a brother. I am a sinner who is striving to be sanctified and I am a mess. 
but I like to think that I'm not alone, because <laughs> that would be really sad if I was. <laughs> so when I think about church being messy, and that's what we're talking about this morning, when I think about it being messy, it's hard for me to not think about when I started out as a youth pastor here at Crossroads. It was a pretty intimidating uh, moment. Our youth group was experiencing like a lot of growth at the time, and I was involved with the youth ministry at the time, but then like our, our church leadership came to me and they were like, you've been like an awesome leader, like we've loved having you, how would you like to be the leader of the youth group? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, no. <laughs> no, I would not like that very much. It was, really, it was really scary. And I felt as though I probably wasn't qualified for it. I, I felt like things were going so good and I wanted to disrupt it. Uh, but they really told me that they believed in me and I'm so grateful for that. And so eventually I said, okay, yeah, like, yeah, like I'll do it. Like I, I'll do it, I need help, but I will do it. And so started just kind of the craziest year of my life. It was, it was crazy, crazy. I was uh, trying to graduate and become like a teacher. So it was like my past, last year of college. I was trying to move out and like be an adult. And now I'm, I'm taking on like this new leadership opportunity and things quickly got messy. I was not a perfect leader. I was not a perfect friend and I was not a perfect pastor. Um, it was like soon after I took over that like almost it felt like all of my leadership was like peace like we are out of here we are done um, <laughs> thank you it's been a great few years but now that you're the leader we're, we're done we're we don't want to do it anymore and there were a variety of reasons for it but I was like oh my gosh everybody's leaving I had like a team of, we have like servant leaders in our youth groups so we have like like students that are also like uh, involved in leadership there we had like 10 when I took when I was like uh, first taking over, we got down to three within a few months. Uh, like seven of them, like seven teenagers that were like, ah, like we don't wanna do it anymore. We don't have time. Uh, I, it was crazy. Um, like it was just, it was so messy. Uh, like I cannot express it enough. Um, I was scrambling to get enough adult leaders for small groups. I had some people leave my team and start some really nasty rumors about me and try to get other people to leave as well. Things that were not true, things that were uh, just very false. And um, all the while that that was happening, I myself, I was a total mess. Like I was, I was a mess also. I hurt people on my team. I got, I got so busy in my life that I'm like scrambling to write like my youth message like an hour before a youth group. I'm like, someone else go greet at the door. Like someone else go buy some snacks for tonight because I got to finish this. Um, and then I've got all of, you know, the craziness of my life around there. Our, our youth group, and it's, it's never about numbers, but I got really scared because our youth group shrunk to about half the size. Uh, within just a couple of months. Like we, uh, we had, again, been experiencing some pretty crazy growth and we had a night, we got to this night where there were nine people, including my adult leaders. And I was like, I, I did this. Like I, through my mess, I messed things up. Some of the things really were my fault. Some of them were not. I was an imperfect man trying to be a perfect youth pastor, which I think I set the bar too high. Um, I, and I was failing miserably at it. When I set the bar that high, I'm gonna miss it every single time, right? And knowing my I knew my imperfections, but I tried to hide them to save face. I tried to hide my imperfections to show, no, I've got it together. I'm all good. I was trying to do most everything on my own because I didn't realize that was not how it was meant 
to be. And so maybe you hear a story like that and you find yourself somewhere in that story. Maybe you have a saying, you're like, oh yes, absolutely, that is me. Maybe you've been in church and you've hurt somebody before. Maybe you have lied in church before. Maybe you have gossiped. Maybe you're, you've been in church and you've spoken out in anger and said something that you didn't mean or said something that you did mean that you shouldn't have said, right? Uh, maybe you've not kept promises. Maybe you've overstepped in boundaries. Maybe, maybe that is you and you've been in church and you've hurt somebody. Or perhaps you've been in church and you've been hurt. Maybe the detail, the raw personal details of your life have been spilt out for everybody to hear and everybody to see. Maybe you've been lied to or lied about. Maybe someone didn't honor or respect your boundaries. Maybe there was an opportunity that you thought was yours and you were overlooked for it. Maybe uh, there was uh, something that you were excited to be a part of and then you just got left out of it completely. I think that church is a place where people sometimes just get hurt. I know some of my deepest hurts have happened with loved ones that I knew through church. I know some of my deep hurts from my life have happened in this very room. I've been here for 10 years and stuff happens, right? And sometimes it happens here. But I know that this happens to everybody because we are real people with real problems trying to be one body. And that is a very difficult thing to do. If there's one thing that I want you to remember tonight, or not tonight, I'm also giving this tonight, but this morning, um, there's one thing I want you to remember this morning, it's this. Everybody hurts, and everybody hurts. Look, every one of us, every, every one of us, um, like, hurts. Like, we have pain. We have things that have happened in our lives that have caused us to hurt and have pain, things that we need to address, things that we need to forgive, things that we need to process. Everybody has hurt. But also, because of that first thing, that second thing becomes really true as well. Also, we hurt others. Everyone hurts, but also everyone hurts. We've all hurt people, and we've all been hurt. So the question is, if this is true of everybody, what can we do about this? Because if this is a real fact, if this is just a principle of life that we can't really change, what do we do about it? Well, I think there's actually this story about Jesus that's really cool that puts it really plainly that I want to share with you this morning. There was this night where Jesus went over to the house of a friend named Levi for dinner. Levi was a new friend, but Levi was also a tax collector. And we need some context so we can really understand this. Because tax collectors during this time period were despised in the Jewish culture. They hated them, okay? It was their job to collect the taxes, but they were Jewish people collecting taxes from Jewish people for the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had come in and had conquered the Jewish people and were oppressing them. They had taken away a lot of their freedoms and a lot of their way of life. So if a Jewish person became a tax collector, that was a really good opportunity for that Jewish man. He was going to do great. That was great for him because he was going to become very wealthy. This was an exciting opportunity. He was working for the empire, the most powerful organization in the world at the time. But he was also really bad for him socially because he had now joined the enemy. Okay? He had now joined the oppressor and he was working for them. He was a traitor to his own people. And that was very, very disgraceful. 
Okay? In fact, if you were like a good Jewish person who was following the law and following the, the, and following the culture and the customs of the time, you probably would never even venture to a tax collector's home. It would look really bad for, on you. So Jesus makes this new friend named Levi, someone who would eventually become Matthew and would eventually become a great friend of Jesus, one of his 12 best friends. Jesus makes this new friend and he says, hey, would you mind having me over for dinner? Because Jesus is a rule breaker, right? We see this a lot throughout the Bible. And so he goes over to his house for dinner, okay? But I have a question for you. If this is one of Jesus' first friends, one of his first people he's going to build his church with, do you think that tax collectors hurt people? Yes, absolutely they did. And the other question that I want to ask, just to, so you can understand what a culturally significant moment, moment this is that Jesus is going to this house for dinner, okay, who do you think would be comfortable going to a tax collector's house for dinner if all of the rule followers, all of the righteous people of the time don't go? It's other sinners. Those are the people who are going to go to this dinner. Those are the people who are going to go be a part of this, okay? Probably the worst of the worst. The people whose social standing is already so bad that they have nothing left to lose. These are thieves. These are crooks. These are probably prostitutes. Those are the people that would be comfortable going to a dinner like this. And also Jesus, the Son of God, okay? So let's jump in to Luke chapter 5. Here's what it says. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Not only is he going to it, he's the guest of honor, okay? Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests were also ate with them, were also with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Those are some harsh words, right, that they are sharing. But within their culture, this is probably a fair question. Jesus was living as a rabbi at this time. Rabbi is the Jewish word for, for teacher, a religious teacher. Okay? He had studied for his entire life a series of books known as the Law and the Prophets, books that would eventually become our Old Testament in the, in the Christian Bible. Okay? These were the religious sacred texts of the Jewish people, and these studies would have set Jesus apart from doing stuff like this. You have to understand the life that rabbis were living. Okay? Most of these teachers would have been prevented from commenting on or even interpreting a single verse of scripture until they had memorized it. That was when you could provide commentary on it. That meant that many people that strive to become a rabbi would have memorized the entire first five books of the Bible by their 13th birthday. Five books of the Bible, okay? I struggle to memorize like a memory verse on a Tuesday night that we give for youth group. And these guys at 13 years old are reciting Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, okay? And meanwhile, the Pharisees who have come to have this conversation uh, to complain uh, to Jesus' disciples, they're also very set apart, okay? The, the job of the Pharisees was to follow the law to the letter, that is their job. They live it out. So they've also been set apart. They've set themselves apart. So associating with sinners and tax collectors would hurt people like rabbis and Pharisees because they are visually very righteous. They are visually supposed to be living for God and only for God. 
So let's look at, look at what Jesus says. Jesus somehow must overhear this, right? Because they don't go to Jesus to talk about it. They're gossiping, right? They go to Jesus' disciples and they complain to them about Jesus. But Jesus somehow must hear about this because this is how he responds. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. What we witness in this passage is that the religious people of the time, the Pharisees, the church people, okay? The church people like you and like I, okay? These people that claim to be following God and to be taking it very seriously, they're getting very messy. <coughs> they don't even address Jesus with the problems that they have about him. They don't go to him. They're not man enough to do that, I guess. So they complain to his disciples about it, okay? They are getting messy. They are hurting the lost. They are hurting the sinners who they're supposed to be they should be calling to repentance. And they instead are calling those people scum. And Jesus says, look, I'm not here for the people that think they've got it all figured out. I'm not here for the people who think that they are righteous. I am here for the sick and the lost. I'm the doctor and they're sick. Don't you get it? But they didn't get it because that righteousness that they enjoyed was fake. They were self-righteous. Jesus calls them later on in the Bible, whitewashed tombs. Really pretty on the outside, really nasty on the inside. Church, people are broken. You're broken and I'm broken. The people that Jesus wants these four walls to be filled with are messy. They are messy. He wants the sick to come here. He wants the people that know that they are sinners to be here. Even the people that Jesus wants to lead his church are messy. That's why he called Matthew. That's why he called Levi, the tax collector. You have to understand, like, I, I didn't mention this yet, but, like, there were two categories for sinners during biblical times. There were tax collectors and sinners. They had their own ranking of unrighteousness. They had their own ranking of sin. In the Bible, you see it all the time. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Even the tax collectors and the sinners know that they uh, know that they are sinful, right? We see this in the Bible. That is to be expected that there are messy people in Jesus' church. Jesus never shied away from messy. He never shied away from it. How do we know? Let's look at the 12 people that Jesus surrounded himself with the most closely. Jesus was hurt by the very people that he called to join his ministry. Jesus' disciples, we see twice in the Bible, fight with each other about who's the greatest, about which of them is the greatest, which of them is going to sit at Jesus' right hand in Jesus' kingdom because they thought it was like a literal physical kingdom, right? They fight about that. Jesus' disciples deny him, deny even knowing him after he dies. They're like, I don't know that Jesus guy. No, I, I'm not friends with him. One of Jesus' best friends betrays him to his death. This one's crazy. You maybe haven't heard of this one before. Let's throw up that other Luke verse. This is a, a crazy moment where I'm like, yeah, the disciples were messy. As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So this means his disciples have been with him probably for a while, okay? Because the time is almost at hand for him to go to heaven. Okay, And he sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Jewish people, Samaritan people generally don't get along throughout history, but Jesus is hoping that he can stay there in this village for the night. Okay, Let's go to the next verse. 
But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Like, oh, this guy's going to Jerusalem? It's probably Jewish. We probably don't want him here. They reject him. It gets crazy, okay? <laughs> when James and John, two of Jesus' like inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, okay? When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> That's their solution. They're like, you've given us this power, God. You've said we'll do even greater things than these. So why don't we just fry them? Why don't we just burn them up? These guys disrespected you, okay? Let's burn them. They're messy, guys. They're messy, like you and like me, okay? How many of you are like, I would probably, like, if I got disrespected and I knew I could, I might want to burn them up, okay? That might be your inkling, okay? <laughs> but Jesus turned, and he rebuked them. He taught them. He saw it as an opportunity not to fire them, not to kick them out, like, yeah, you guys didn't make the cut. You don't get to be my disciples. You didn't figure it out. Three years in, and you're still trying to fry people with the power of God. Don't... <laughs> Have you ever seen me do that? I've only ever healed, okay? But Jesus doesn't do that. He sees it as an opportunity to rebuke them and to change their ways. He says, no, that's not how we do things in my kingdom. That's that kingdom of Rome that you live under. They're the ones that crucify. They're the ones that burn. But in the kingdom of heaven, we redeem. That is what we do. Jesus had called together a group of very messy people. Fishermen and tax collectors. He called both of them, the uneducated and the sinful. He called together liars and traitors, okay? Some of the people in his group would lie, others would betray. Jesus called together some of the educated and some of the uneducated. Jesus had men and women that were part of his ministry. Jesus had Jews, and then he would eventually have Gentiles as well that were going to be a part of building up his church. And that is the group. All of those together, that's who he called to build up his church. He said, okay, let's bring in the fishermen, let's bring in the women, let's bring in some liars, and that's how we're going to expand this ministry. He brought into his church hurt people who will sometimes hurt other people. So when I look at that group, I think, is strife not to be expected Sometimes. And look, this message is not an excuse to go out and treat your church family badly because is that not what we expect? Are we not just we're going to hurt each other sometimes? It's not an excuse to treat people bad. That is not what I am saying. Please hear me. That is not what this is. I'm not saying that the, I'm not saying that. Okay? What I am saying is this. Oh, I'm sorry. I got a little bit mixed up. I'm not saying that it's an excuse to treat each other badly, okay? Our church should strive to be the safest place in the world. I think we have a sign, yeah, it's right above me. Love God, love people, that is safe. Our church should be one of the safest places in the world. That's our goal here at Crossroads. We want to be a safe place. But what I am saying is that when things do happen, when hurt does happen, we don't just give up. We don't throw in the towel. We don't say, you offended me, and so I'm out. We don't say, you had a bad idea, you were not good at loving me, and so I'm done with you. This relationship is over. Okay, that is not what we're going to do, because our church family is worth fighting for. I've seen people give up on church for the littlest and the silliest things. 
littlest and the silliest. They've given up on maybe a church because uh, music wasn't good or something or, or something like that. Or they've given up on all of church completely because one person hurt their feelings, okay? We don't give up like that. That is not what we are supposed to do. And let me tell you, there are times to perhaps leave a church, okay? If that church is truly unsafe to you physically or emotionally or something, please, a, a church should never be a place where you feel unsafe. If a, church, if a church is teaching heresy, yeah, like that's not where you should be. But what I, what I, am, what I am saying is that we stick to each other, we stick to our guns, and we stay in the fight together because we are a family. I'm a mess, and you're a mess. And so we have to forgive, and we have to grow. There's a, an apostle named Paul. He was somebody that experienced Jesus during his lifetime. And, um, and uh, Paul taught the local church in the city of Galatia, and he taught them a, a lesson that I feel like would be really good for us. And before we jump into it, what I do want to say is if anybody understood the concept of messy church, it is Paul. If anyone gets it, it's Paul. Because think about his track record. If you don't know, this dude used to kill and imprison members of the church. That was literally his job. He hunted down and imprisoned people of the uh, members of the church. So he was making the church messy. And then eventually, after he experiences Jesus, Paul joins the apostles. And he says, "Hey, I would I would like to join the church." And they're like, "Aren't you the dude that wanted to arrest us and kill us? Okay, and you want to join us now?" And he says, "Yes." <laughs> They were resistant to him joining, but after joining, they were resistant to it, but after joining, he actually still experienced difficulty. He still ex ex experienced pushback against ideas and disagreement about the interpretations of the teachings of Jesus. He experienced hardship in the church, but he actually, in this verse, says what to do if you experience that disagreement, if you experience that hardship, okay? Look at this. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, if church gets messy, if people mess up, if people make a mistake, forgivingly restore him. And save your critical comments for yourself. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, um, yeah, this is hard to do. I'm already, I'm already very challenged by this, okay? You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you have been badly deceived. If you think you're too good for that, you have been badly deceived. How do we deal with hurt people and hurtful people? We restore them with forgiveness. We keep our critical comments to ourselves. We carry each other's burdens. And if we can't do those things, then we are just wrong. You're just wrong, okay? You, you are incorrect in thinking that you cannot do that. You are lying to yourself. If you think you cannot move past an offense, if you think you are better than a messy church and you need to find a perfect church, if you refuse to talk to someone who hurt you and you instead go and talk to their disciples and that they are doing something wrong and you choose to gossip, then you have been deceived. You've been deceived. In church, we are called to take things to the person. If someone falls into sin, it doesn't say go and tell their mom 
okay? If someone, if someone does something wrong, it doesn't mean have a conversation about it in the parking lot. It doesn't say get into a group of friends and say, I have a prayer request for this person and then expose everything that's going on in their life so, so you can feel good. Instead, it says go to them and forgivingly restore them. In church, we are called to take things to the person. In church, we are called to forgive and let go. In church, we do hard things and we fight for our family, and it's just not optional. And nowhere in here does it say nowhere in here does it say if you're strong enough. It says if you think you can't do it, then you have been lied to. If we weren't comfortable with a messy church, a lot of us probably would not be here. Am I right? We would have been disqualified by our past mistakes. We would have been disqualified by our misunderstandings. We would have been disqualified by our failings. I am lucky that I still get to be here. I am blessed by people who are willing to accept me and my mess and still go to church and be family with me. I've been given second chances and third chances and fourth chances in leadership and in ministry, and I'm very blessed by that. But a lot of us, if we weren't down with a messy church, a lot of us probably would have never gotten that second chance because we would have never gotten that first. Paul's past disqualified him. In the most logical sense, someone like Paul should not have been a church leader. He literally killed and imprisoned church members. Paul was the witness to the very first martyr, the very first person to ever die for Jesus' teachings. Paul said, hey, while you guys throw rocks at him till he dies, let me hold your coats so they don't get dirty on the ground. That disqualifies him practically, but it doesn't disqualify him in the eyes of Jesus because Jesus says, forgivingly restore him and save your critical comments for yourself. How can we expect new Christians to live up to the standards of the self-righteous? They can't. Let's look at another version of that same thing that Jesus said the night of that dinner from Matthew. Let's look at that Matthew verse. It says this. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those who think they are right. Uh, sorry, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Jesus came for those who know that they are sinners. If we know that we are sinners, then we know that we are going to get messy. We know that we will have to be really good at forgiving, and we're going to have to be really, 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 really good at love. Peter says this really well in his first letter. We recently, as a, um, as a young adults group, we've gone through the, the book of 1 Peter, and it was amazing. It's such a, such a good book. And it's so rich with, with wisdom and insight from someone that walked with Jesus. And when Peter was writing a letter to some other Christians, this is what he said. He said, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love makes up for many of your faults. I have a lot of faults. I make mistakes all the time and I get messy and I get that mess onto other people. But if I'm good at loving those people, they're going to be good at forgiving me. They're going to know that that's not my intention. They're going to know that that is not what I'm striving to do and they will forgive me. And then, with, and then when they are good at loving me and something happens, I'm like, no, I know that's not, that's not their character. They didn't mean that. That wasn't their intention. 
We love each other. Love covers a multitude of sins is another way that that verse often gets translated. If I know that you love me, if you have displayed practical love for me in my past, then I will be quick to forgive you because love covers and makes up for a lot. So as the body of Christ, we need to get really good at this. We need to love each other well. And let me tell you this. This goes along with last week's. This goes along with last week's message. I want you to know this. The more that we love someone and the more that we take our masks off in front of them, the more ammunition that we are giving them to potentially hurt us. It gets scary being transparent. It gets scary being real and being yourself. It takes trust. But the more that we love each other, the more that we can do that. The more that we love each other, the more that we can cover up our faults and we can make up for the things that we do wrong. I feel like you probably know this verse to be true. The more that we love each other, the more that we can work past the hardship in our relationships. One of our core values as a church, something that has uh, for 10 years of me being here has been said again and again and again is PPI. It stands for presume positive intent. You assume the best about somebody when they do something. You don't assume that they were consciously trying to hurt you. Instead, you presume that they have your best interests in mind because you probably have their best interests in mind too. And if someone brings something to you that you have done, PPI also means that we humbly listen and we try to change. If someone brings something to us, it's like, oh, shoot, I didn't even know that I did that. That wasn't my intention, but let me change so that it doesn't happen again. We are always striving to be more Christ-like, and none of us are even close, unfortunately. Jesus says as much. He says that he's here for those of us who know that we are sinners, for I have come to call those who, not who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. As I said at the very start of this message, I was a mess when I started pastoring the youth group. I'm still a mess, though I'm trying to clean it up. Um, but the thing is, I stayed. I stayed. I fought for my youth group. I fought for the relationships that I had. And I said sorry a lot. I said sorry to Jen a lot. Jen's right in the back. I mean, like, when I think about messy church, I think about, I think about this moment um, where, like, she's crying in the office, and I'm there, too, and we have someone mediating because <laughs> I messed up. <laughs> and she's like, you hurt me. You betrayed my trust. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I know I did. Like, I messed up. Like, I'm so, I'm, being 21 is not an excuse, but I'm such a 21-year-old boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I know I stepped into this and stuff. And, like, we had to work through a few things. There were a few tearful conversations with Jen. There were, there were more than one. But she actually, like, because we got through it and we accepted each other's messes, Jen, you became one of my most valuable leaders that I ever had. It gave, gave it, like, one year down the road, and we were, like, speaking at a youth camp together two years down the road, and we're going on mission trips together, and we've become such good friends. But it's only because we were willing to recognize that we were both sinners who had been called to this leadership and this church thing together. And that meant that we had to get through our stuff together. And I'm so thankful that we did it. I presume the best about a lot of people. 
And because of that, I'm still here, and I get to be here with you. And the youth group doesn't have nine people anymore. <laughs> in fact, in fact, um, we got 40 people registered to go to camp. But before you clap, before you clap, yeah, I know you're already doing it, before you clap, that's 40 messy sinners. Yeah. 40 messy sinners. 32 of whom are teenagers. So someone's going to say sorry on that trip. Yeah. I mean, what could go wrong? A lot could go wrong. <laughs> like, right? Like 40 people, what could go wrong? A lot could go wrong. We're going to say sorry. We're going to forgive each other. But also the fact that it's 40 messy sinners going to uh, camp together is not going to stop us because we are a family. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get it. We're going to get in a party bus or a group of vans, and we're going to drive, and we're going to hurt each other, and then we're going to forgive each other, and we're going to love each other really, yeah, it's perfect, really, really well, because that's going to cover our multitude of sins. So here's what we are going to do together as a church body. First, I want you to think about if you are in a mess, if you are in a mess that you have caused, okay? Are you in a mess that you have caused? If you are, here's what you need to do. You need to look at your mess and acknowledge, that's my mess, okay? And don't just acknowledge it to yourself. Don't just be like, oh man, I messed up. Acknowledge it to the people that it's infected, the people that it's impacted, okay? Something that you have done, something that you have said that you didn't mean, some sort of hurt that you have caused, Acknowledge it, apologize about it, and then start cleaning. Start cleaning your mess up because that relationship is worth fighting for. This church family is worth fighting for. We're in it together and it's hard, but it's worth it. So if you've caused a mess, acknowledge it, apologize for it, and start cleaning it up. It will require humility and it will require, it will require love. And then I want you to think, I'm in a mess. If you're thinking, I'm in a mess, but I didn't cause it. I didn't start it. That might be the case. Someone maybe got, they were messy and they spilled their mess on you. That happens. If you've been hurt and if you've been wronged, here's what we need to do. We need to PPI. We need to presume the best. Presume the best about the person and reach out in grace and in love and say, you messed up. You hurt me. This is how I feel. Okay? And don't assume that it was intentional, but in sh instead share what happened so that something can be done about it. They may not even realize that they caused a mess in the first place. They might not even realize that you are hurting if you haven't said anything. When something like that happens, we need to go to the person. And if that's scary, bring somebody with you. Not to gang up on them, but bring someone with you so that they can listen and be there for both of you. Be there for both of you so that you can share what happened. And if you're there, if you're here online or if you're here in person and you're like, man, I've never been a part of a messy church. I've never followed Jesus. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus wants you to follow him because there's nothing that you could do to disqualify you. You're probably not a tax collector and they were the worst and he invited them, okay? Maybe you do work for the IRS and Jesus still loves you, right? <laughs> he still does. So 
So if you're here, Jesus wants you to follow him, and he loves you so dearly. So if you've never said yes to following him, if you've never joined the messy church, if you've never followed Jesus, we're going to have like a uh, we're going to have like a message like online that you can like there's like a number you can call or something you can type in a link that you can take. And if you're here, we're going to have prayer teams at the end, and we would love for you to come up and join us in prayer so that you can follow Jesus and join this messy family that we call crossroads. So I'm going to pray. There will be prayer teams up here. If you need to work through some sort of forgiveness that's really hard, please let us pray with you. Forgiveness is a very challenging thing. It can be really hard to do so. Uh, It's hard to offer it. It's hard to ask for it, okay? But we want to join with you in prayer because we know it's a challenging thing, but we also know that it is worth it. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we were able to gather together as a messy church and listen to your words and read your Bible together and learn from it. Please let this change us. Please um, help us to, uh, when things get messy, to not throw in the towel, to not give up, but to fight for our church family and uh, to fight for, uh, for those relationships because we know they are a gift from you to us. Please help us, Jesus, to work on forgiving and loving really well. Please help us to acknowledge the messes that we make and help us, if we've been hurt, to go to the person rather than gossiping or or, or sharing or quitting, Jesus. Thank you for anybody that might be saying yes to you this morning as well, Jesus. Thank you for that. That is the best, most exciting decision a person can make in their life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us in spite of our sin, Jesus. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it, but you offered it anyway. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, online audience, for joining us so much this morning. And don't forget that we would love to pray with you. There are links in the description of the YouTube video and in the chat online.